Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. This stunning and handsome young man that you see on the screen right here, apologies to those of you who are listening only and you are deprived of such good looks is our son, Specialist Joshua Bryce McBrayer, soon to be Sergeant McBrayer in a few weeks. He will finish his time in the Hawaiian Islands this spring, transfer to Colorado Springs, Colorado, where our son Blaze already lives, and we will have multiple children living in the same zip code for the first time in years. Bryce sent us this selfie from the field this week. He's been engaged in a two-week military exercise in some tropical jungle somewhere, dining on meals ready to eat with no shower or bathing facilities, setting up and tearing down mobile airfields, fighting simulated enemies. He says he's been killed twice. And foot-long centipedes in his sleeping bag. I was not surprised to get a selfie from him even the occasional text over these last two weeks, because he is an enterprising young man who has figured out long ago where to hide his cell phone so that his superiors cannot find it. I was surprised, however, and a little bit alarmed when he FaceTimed Cindy and I late one night this week. It's a parent thing, isn't it? It never goes away. But there he was, that beautiful face of his on the other end of the line, Are you okay? Is something wrong? That's the first thing that parents ask. Yeah, 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 he said, very hushed from somewhere inside a communications tower, avoiding being caught with his phone. And what was so important that Bryce had to interrupt an Asian theater war game, breaking military protocol and contacting his parents 5,000 miles away? Quote, Dad, Did you get that $20 I sent on Apple Pay for those Powerball tickets? (laughs) Come to find out, he had sent $20 to his mother as well. And he instructed us not to buy all those tickets in the same store, but to diversify. Well, Bryce didn't win this week, but someone did, beating the 292 million to one odds. Someone walked into Joe's service center outside of Pasadena, California, picked 10, 33, 41, 47, 56, and the Powerball of 10, and they walked out with a record $2.04 billion, or at least they will. As of today, the winner has not yet come forward, something that's not unusual when dealing with this much money, $2 billion, the largest 
jackpot in world history. Historically, and I've tried to stress this to my son, lottery winners do not do very well. You probably have heard about this, the stories of the lottery curse. They are legion and they are legendary and they're true. More winners say that their lives got worse after winning than before winning. Though most of us would like to try and beat those odds too. And here's the other thing about the lottery that is so fascinating. Some players actually believe that their numbers, the numbers that they choose, are superior to the numbers that others choose. In a game of complete chance, they think their odds are better because the numbers on their ticket are special. This is Dr. Ellen Langer, Harvard School of Psychology. She's been teaching since 1975. She was the first woman ever to be tenured in psychology at Harvard. She writes about, and her expertise is in two primary areas. Number one, aging, specifically how to slow it down. That's good. And two, what she calls, quote, the illusion of control. There is this strong internal bias within some who are gamblers and some who are addicts and those swashbuckling captains of industry and titans of innovation and narcissists and financial traders and yes, in some compulsive Powerball players. In each of these, there is this unrealistic overestimation of the influence one has over uncontrollable outcomes. It is a state of delusion to those Powerball tickets. In one of Langer's experiments, a group of people were given tickets with a chance to win the lottery. Some were random quick picks and some were numbers chosen by the participants. Now listen to this. And they were told, you can trade in your ticket for another that has a higher chance, percentage chance, of winning. Those that had received random numbers to a person all handed in their tickets immediately. Those that picked their own numbers far and away by the majority, even though they could have been given a ticket with a higher percentage chance of winning, held on to those special numbers. Because they felt they were in control. Langer found out that when rolling dice, I think she's done a lot of study on gambling, that when rolling dice, if someone thinks that they need higher numbers, they throw the dice harder. And when they need smaller numbers, they throw the dice gently as if the power of the throw is going to affect the chance of the numbers that show up on the dice. In one of her most revealing experiments, Langer's research showed that drivers <laughs> feel that they are much less likely to be in an accident if they are the ones behind the wheel. That if you move them to the passenger seat, their anxiety rises exponentially. And if you move them to the back seat, 
they're almost beyond any control of keeping their emotions together. A corollary to Langer's research, half of the drivers on the road today, and I want you to think about this, in the cold of winter, before all the snowbirds and tourists arrive, half the drivers on the road today, based on their decision-making operations while impaired or texting or distracted, their driving history, their road knowledge, and the speed at which they operate their vehicle, Half of the drivers on the road today are st statistically below average. That's no surprise. Here's the surprise. Ask individuals what kind of driver they are. <laughs> and 95% of us will describe ourselves as safe drivers. When 50% by the data tells us that that cannot be true. So, are we really that delusional when we get behind the wheel? Well, if you follow some snowbirds around in this place, and if you follow some tourists around in this place, if you follow some people around with Walton County plates, we know that half the people on the road can't drive. But guess what? We have seen the enemy and it is us. We can't seem to drive either. It's everyone else, though, that has a problem. It's everyone else that's out of control. It's everyone else that can't seem to keep it between the lines. And Dr. Ellen Langer is absolutely correct. Control is an illusion, an absolute illusion. Can you, with the power of your concentrated mind, manipulate those little ping pong balls with magic numbers so as to match those numbers on your lottery ticket? Can you reprogram the DNA in your body, the genetics you have inherited to change the color of your eyes, to extend your years, to escape the cancer cells given to you that already are in your bloodstream? Can you change the weather? Can you stop a landfalling hurricane? Can you end a flood? Can you end a drought? Can you fuse together the tectonic plates of the earth to avoid earthquakes? Do you have command over other people's feelings or thoughts? Do you have command even over your own? Can you grant extra days of life to someone that you love? Can you even make your dog stop barking? Do you know how much money we've spent at my house on dog collars? Do you know how many work? And let's don't even talk about cats. You ever tried to control a cat? That'll tell you how powerless you are in the world. Can you do anything about the socioeconomics and military operations of Eastern Europe, the invasion of Ukraine, the traffic on Highway 98 between Sacred Heart Hospital and Silver Sounds Outlet Mall during the week of 4th of July? Can you change the past? Can you control the future? Can you stop a deer from running out in front of you? Can you make your children succeed? 
Can you force others to follow the rules or to behave or to treat others with kindness? Can you? You share this planet with almost 8 billion other people. So even if you are one in a million, guess what? There are 8,000 more just like you, so get over it. You live in a solar system whose size defies human imagination. I love this. You are here. And even now, Voyager 1, launched in 1977, is traveling 35,000 miles per hour across our solar system. It is the fastest vehicle humanity has ever built. And to reach the edge of the Milky Way and break free into the interstellar space, it will take it 40,000 years to cross that picture that you see right there. And let's not even talk about the universe. Every one of those dots is not a star. It's a galaxy larger than the Milky Way. It defies human mind to even be able to grasp what infinity is. How did we ever get it in our hearts? How did it ever breach human consciousness that we could control anything? This is Jeremiah 10. Verses 1-8 through and verse 23 from the contemporary English version. The Lord said, Listen to me, you people of Israel. Don't follow the customs of those nations who become frightened when they see something strange happen in the sky. The writer is speaking of a comet or a meteor shower or an eclipse. These were and remain terrifying to a non-scientific society. God continues this conversation. Their religion is worthless. They chop down a tree, carve the wood into an idol, cover it with silver and gold, and then nail it down so it won't fall over. The writer cannot hide his contempt. An idol is no better than a scarecrow. It can't speak. It has to be carried because it can't walk. Why worship an idol that can't help or harm you. And then Jeremiah speaks. Our Lord, great and powerful, you alone are God. You are king of the nations. Everyone should worship you. No human anywhere on earth is wiser than you. Idols are worthless and anyone who worships them is a fool. And then verse 23. I know, Lord, that we human are not in control of our own lives. It would first appear that Jeremiah has made some kind of attention and deficit disorder jump. One minute, Jeremiah is crashing and trashing the icons, and the next, making this philosophical existential declaration about our lack of agency. Are these things connected? They absolutely are. What is an idol? The dictionary tells us it is an object of devotion or worship, like American Idol. Someone that others worship, right? The winner. But let's go a little further back. In the Old English and in the Greek, we discover that idol is a form of the word, idol, as in a country setting, or 
ideal. So think big blue sky, bright sun, open green meadow, little farmhouse, little puff of smoke coming from the warm chimney, white picket fence, temperature is 72 degrees with a light breeze. Absolutely perfect. That is an idyllic setting. That is an ideal setting. And so an idol is anything that we use, anything that we trust, anything that we employ to protect our idea of perfection. It is a totem. It is a lucky charm. It is a talisman that we think, erroneously, of course, will keep the sun shining, keep the sky blue, and keep the danger away. So when the prophet uses the image of a scarecrow, it is without question brilliant. What does a scarecrow do? It stands there, lifeless in the field, absolutely powerless, as a safeguard against would-be predators and looters and vandals, and the truth is, it doesn't work. An idol can be anything that we use as an anti-anxiety measure. Now, that list is endless. I know we are refined modern Americans, and we don't have traditional idols. No little golden calves or effigies that we bow down to, or do we? Money is certainly one. It's the most popular one we have. If, if I have enough money, I will be protected from anything that might harm me. If I have enough in the bank, then I won't worry. Well, how's that working out? I mean, how much do you really need to ease your mind? And what happens when the bank fails or the currency collapses? Well, if I just had the right husband or the hot-smoking wife, that would put me at ease and I wouldn't have all of these insecurities. Really? I just need more guns, more bullets. Then I won't be afraid of rioters or unrest and I'll be able to maintain some equilibrium. You think? Well, if my country is strong, then I don't have to worry. If my house can withstand a Category 5 hurricane, if I get all my medical tests in order, if I can just gather all of the right information, if I can get that perfect job, if I can keep that perfect job, if I just get the safest car on the market, idols are everywhere. You see that? And they're scarecrows. They can't speak, they can't walk, they can't stand on their own, they can't insulate you, they give you no more control than you already lacked. So you're saying I shouldn't do financial planning? Well, you should, you really should, but you are powerless against most of the forces of a globalized world. You know that, right? I shouldn't prep for hurricane season? Oh, you surely should. But if that monster forms in the Gulf of Mexico and makes a beeline for your house, just get in your car and leave. 
Should I be engaged in society? Absolutely and without question, but you know you are among 300 million others, right? You're saying I shouldn't protect my family? You know I'm not saying that at all. But what are you going to protect them from? From whom? For how long? There are so many straw-filled scarecrows we are trusting to ease our minds, and they just can't help us. Not really. Growing up in North Georgia, my grandmother laid out a garden every year and went after she had turned 90. She couldn't keep up with it any, anymore, and I think that was about as difficult a thing that she ever had to accept, that she couldn't keep her garden anymore, and she had a whole lot of difficulties. But it was old school gardening, you know. They call it okra in most places, but it's okri. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. Okri and potatoes and squash and runner beans and hot and mild peppers and cabbage and, of course, corn. Tall, yellow, sweet corn. There is no other. We had corn on the cob, fresh. We had creamed corn. We had hominy. And I have so many memories of shucking that corn throwing the shucks and some of the stalks over the fence for the cows to eat and then getting back home and my grandmother giving me a little circular brush to comb away all the silkies. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's probably on YouTube. I loved it, but so did the crows. And they didn't wait until the corn was mature to descend upon the field, they usually started showing up about the day you put the seeds in the ground. And one year, the crows were especially bad. Had to be early June. The, uh, the rows weren't ready to harvest, but I was already out of school. That's how I know what time of the year it had to be. And grandmother just couldn't get rid of the crows. And so she put a scarecrow in the field. You know how long that worked? About two days. Crows are smart. So then she started hanging foil pans and aluminum pans on posts in the yard and in the field. That worked too. How long? About two days. She resorted, I kid you not, I've never, in all those 93 years that she was alive, it was the angriest I ever saw her. She resorted to sitting in a chair, looking out the kitchen window with my late grandfather's 22 pistol. And it was the only time in her whole life that I heard her use profanity. She would cuss a blue streak. And she'd sit there and watch. The crows would show up. She'd open up a whole cylinder on them. Then she'd go back, working in the kitchen a little while. She'd hear them cawing. She'd hear back to the window again. She finally gave up on that and resorted to just simply walking out in the field. 15 minutes or so, an hour keeping them away, and when she would get tired, she is 90 years old, and worn out, she'd say, son, get out here, and I would walk the field, and she'd say, 
Those crows will be back. You stay at them. Those crows will be back. You stay at them. And they always came back. Well, one morning we're sitting at breakfast early in the morning. And she says, well, that'll do. And I looked up from my biscuits not knowing what she was talking about. And she was sitting there, what a great picture, cooling her coffee in a saucer. Did your grandparents ever do that? That'll do. What'll do? Well, I think we've done just about all we can. And we'll just have to eat whatever's left when they get done. What a simple conclusion. But what a profound conclusion. Do all you can. Do all you can. But there comes a time when you've done all you can. And when you've done all you can, there's nothing left to do but to throw out that scarecrow and trust God with whatever is left and whatever that may be.